Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. I am very excited to be here this evening. I hope you are ready to receive something great from God. We're going to get into His Word. But uh, before we do that, I would love to just let you know, this week in Global Youth, we had our ETP, our end of term party. It was awesome. Um, Oh, some photos. Uh, So this was our last big service for the year. We um, had lots of new faces, which we always love to see. We prayed out our year 12s who are graduating from youth. We saw young people respond to Jesus, always the best part. And we ate fairy floss and mac and cheese. It was awesome. And um, may I just let you know, church, if you don't always get to see, we have an amazing youth team of volunteers who really give of their lives so that young people can know Jesus. So if you see a youth leader around the service, just tell them, well done. They're really doing a great job. We're very blessed as a church. And uh, we have summer camp coming up in January. And registrations are open for that on our webpage right now. So if there's a young person in your world, in church, out of church, that you think could benefit from hanging out with mates, having fun, an encounter from God, why not start chatting with them now, get in early? Um, maybe it could be a good Christmas present for someone, but we'd really love to have them join us. All right, cool. We are going to get into the Word of God, and we are going to read tonight from John 10, verses 1 to 11. And uh, what we have here is Jesus, and he is telling a parable or a story with a spiritual application for life. And this is what he says. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. In a different translation, just verses 10 to 11, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One more translation. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. It's beautiful, right? Jesus is using a metaphor in which he is the shepherd, his people are the sheep, and not only is he going to care for them, but he will sacrifice his own life that they might have life in abundance. But on the flip side of his purpose of bringing life to the world is the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And the thief is another name for the enemy or the devil for Satan. We'd all agree that the state of the world that we're living in is a bit bereft, right? Steal, kill, and destroy? Absolutely, we see that. There's a lot of death and destruction in our world. 
If you asked them to choose three words to describe their life, most people probably wouldn't pick abundant as one of them. We often feel that we are lacking in material things that we want or need, or if we're not lacking materially, then maybe we are lacking emotionally, mentally, physically, relationally, and trying to sustain a life that will ensure the kind of material security that we want. And one of the things that is robbing many of us of an abundant life, even as we are sitting here tonight, is loneliness. Last week, Pastor George preached about leprosy. Um, Mother Teresa actually said that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. So that's what we're talking about tonight. And today, in the West at large, loneliness is an issue that is only becoming increasingly alarming to researchers, medical professionals, governments. Some experts are calling this the loneliness epidemic. Other people say that's a little bit dramatic, but they're in agreement that this is a big problem for us. And so hearing that tonight, I think some of us would be thinking, well, yes, that's me. I have this acute sense of loneliness in my life. Or others of us might be thinking, yeah, I can kind of relate with that. I feel lonely from time to time. Or perhaps I can definitely see the effects of loneliness in the people around me. And we can put this down, this problem down to a lot of different things. So we live in an individualistic society with the freedom to do what we want, but then also the isolation that can sometimes come with that. We're living in the aftermath of the shift to an online world and the rise of social media. And who knows that connectivity is not the same as community, right? Many of us spend more time looking at photos on the feed of someone we vaguely knew three years ago than we do connecting face to face with the people we actually do life with on a daily basis. Um, There's a sociologist and psychologist, Sherry Turkle, who's pretty much the leading expert in the world on what technology and the digital age is doing to to humans, basically. And she writes about how when technology engineers intimacy, relationships can be reduced to mere connections, and then connection becomes redefined as intimacy. And so we see how rich relationships and intimacy are becoming increasingly and increasingly elusive in our culture. And then most recently, the pandemic has really heightened the sense of loneliness that many people carry. Just stick with me. Um, Americans Surgeon General told the Harvard Business Review that in his years practicing medicine, the most common pathology he saw was not heart disease or diabetes, but loneliness. In 2018, the UK Prime Minister appointed a loneliness minister to combat what she referred to as one of the greatest public health challenges of our time. Closer to home, the Australian government released a report this year saying that we need a national strategy to address loneliness and social isolation because one in four Australians aged 12 to 89 are reporting problematic levels of loneliness. The Headspace National Youth Mental Health Survey released earlier this year reported that 54% of young people in our nation feel a sense of loneliness. It's over half. And um, loneliness comes up all the time in youth ministry. I will often chat with young people who are feeling isolated or struggling in their friendships and relationships. And even personally, I have, especially in my late teens, early 20s, felt a deep, deep sense of loneliness and the impacts of that, even when being surrounded by many wonderful people. I won't won't get into all the details of the negative impacts of loneliness on our health, there are many, Um, but there is research to suggest that loneliness and social isolation can be as detrimental to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
a day. So that's pretty intense. Now, I'm not painting this picture for you to send us all into one tonight at all. Just stick with me. All of that is said to say, we can tend to live lives of loneliness, and a lonely life is not an abundant life, right? And we see that this is a problem that affects many of us personally. We feel it deeply, but we can also see that it is bigger and more pervasive of a problem than just one or two of us or a few of us or is just like a young person problem that hopefully we'll grow out of, or something that will be solved when we find or fix our significant other, right? The scripture we we read said that Jesus came that that we might have life and life in abundance. What that means is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Christ. This is a life that is available to us, but perhaps we're not all experiencing But why not? If Jesus came to the earth to bring us abundant life, if he is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep, why are so many of us not experiencing good pastures and not living in in internal abundance? Loneliness is lack, right? It's an awareness that there is something that we need, that we crave, that we don't have, that we aren't experiencing. It's an unfulfilled ache inside of us. And the lack that is loneliness is a product of sin. Now, just stick with me again. I am not saying that if you are feeling lonely tonight, that is because you committed some sin and God is angry at you. Um, That's not what I'm saying. We established before loneliness is a personal thing, but it's also a massive societal problem. This is about more than just you and I and as individuals and our moral choices. So if you're lonely tonight, maybe that is a result of your sin. Maybe you made poor choices, hurt people and have found yourself isolated you would not be alone at all if that's you tonight. But maybe you didn't do anything wrong at all. Maybe someone else hurt you, a parent who left, a partner who betrayed you, a friend that wasn't there for you. Maybe you're experiencing loneliness as part of grief, losing someone that you've loved. Maybe you've bought into the digital age and the convenience that it offers. This is most of us. If, it's, if you're in global youth, this is all you've ever known. And um, we're just kind of experiencing the side effects of an online world, the reduction of our relationships from intimacy to connection. Maybe your life is great, your relationships are great, but still there is this ache inside of you to know and to be known in a deeper sense. And all of these situations and all of these problems are a result of sin. Maybe your personal sin or my personal sin, maybe the sin of someone else, or maybe the brokenness that pervades the very world that we're living in and our society and our culture, like every other society and culture on the earth. Loneliness is a product of sin. And I was chatting with a young person this week um, that is not here, they don't come here, I'm not outing them, um, who hasn't been raised in a church context but has a religious parent. And they said to me with like a lot of pent up frustration, I'm just so sick of hearing about the word sin. And that caught me off guard a little bit because to me that word's not confronting. Um, I'm like, yes, I'm sinful. Uh, But that is because my measuring stick for what is true and important in life is scripture, is the Bible as it should be because I work for the church. But um, (laughs) if your measuring stick for what is true and important in life is not the Bible, then sin might be a really confronting word for you tonight, and I get that. Um, We live in a world and a culture where the measuring stick for what is true and important is really quickly becoming tolerance. 
Anything goes as long as we're accepting of each other. You do whatever you want, I can't say a word about it. And I'll do whatever I want, and you can't say a word about that. Our truth is our own, it cannot be questioned. Our experience is our own, it cannot be questioned. And we can deem God and church oppressive and stifling because the Bible is very straight up about sin. Romans 3 verses 11 to 12, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They've all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. That can be confronting to hear. We don't understand. We've become corrupt. There is not one who does good. But this is the thing. We're not living in a story about a perpetually angry God who is saying, you have sinned, I will condemn you to hell forever. And then Jesus kind of like appeases him by offering up his life and dying on the cross so that if you and I just believe the right things and try to be good people and maybe come to church, then we can like bypass the anger of God and like make it into heaven when we die. That is not the message that we preach or live here. We are living in a story about a good God, a God who loves us deeply, who loves you deeply, who created this incredible and beautiful world for us, who wants to live in close relationship with us. He's not detached, he's near. Loneliness is not anything to do with his plan. Abundance is his plan. And you can read in the beginning of the Bible about how we as humankind, we rejected God. We rejected all of the beauty that he has to offer us because we wanted our own autonomy, right? We wanted to do things our way over God's way, not realizing the implications of that. And that is who makes choices that aren't good, not realizing the implications. And then we have to like, live in our consequences. That's what we've done. And the moment that we chose our own way over God's way, sin entered the world in a very pervasive way. So now everything that is broken about this world from natural disasters to sickness to poverty to my personal selfishness to your personal selfishness to the loneliness problem that we have is a result of sin. Popular opinion says that sin is doing the wrong thing morally which um, is part of it for sure. Our God is righteous, he is holy and part of living his way is doing moral good but that's just not a comprehensive definition at all. Sin is its failure to miss the mark, its failure to fulfill the goal of God. And his mark and his goal is to love him and to love people. God's goal is always for the flourishing of humanity, for the flourishing of every single person to ever walk this earth. And so we fail when we don't truly love God and love others, but then we also fail in our deception that we can redefine what the mark is, what the goal is to anything but loving God and people. And we fail not only because of our redefinition of the goal and therefore our wrong choices, but also because of the deeply rooted selfish motives and drives that dictate why we make the choices that we make, right? Doing the right thing for the wrong reason, that doesn't make it right before God. Eugene Peterson refers to our selfish drives as the corruption of sin that the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and desires. We don't have the ability to just like be better, choose better, just become more enlightened and rise above it. Sin runs deep in all of us. It's in our blood, it's in the marrow of our bones, and its effects are vast and wide. Regardless of how good and decent a person we might be, there's no escape from the truth that we all miss the mark and the goal of a perfect God to love him and to love others. But God didn't and doesn't inflict the pain on us that is a result of our sin and the brokenness of the world. In fact, he's not even just there watching it as it happens and being like, told you so. 
Um, in fact, in response to our rejection and the subsequent breakdown of the world, he made a plan. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So the message that we preach is this, the good news that God's kingdom has come near through Jesus, through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his enthronement, the powers of Satan, sin, and death no longer have the last word. In, come on. How good. In God's kingdom, brought to earth by Jesus, God is in control. Because God's kingdom is his range of effective will, right? We, we all have a range of our effective will, a space in which what we want and what we say goes. Um, even if that is just as small as simply our own body, we all have a tiny kingdom. Even a two-year-old who is like well capable of demonstrating their own will and loves to say things like no and me and mine, right? But in God's kingdom, what he says and what he wants is righteousness, peace, Joy, intimacy, relationship, love, not loneliness. In our freedom to respond, however we choose to, we rebel against his rule and make ourselves the center of our universe. And then we find ourselves broken and lonely, sometimes with a trail of people that we've hurt and damaged behind us. But when Jesus walked the earth, God himself in the flesh, he didn't come here to tell us um, or to condemn us for our sin. He came to take all of that sin, take all of that brokenness upon himself, all of the pain, all of the sickness, all of the loneliness, your sin, my sin, and he bore the suffering of that when he died on the cross. So God's kingdom is not one where he inflicts pain or even inflicts his own will. It's a kingdom where he demonstrates this suffering love. Jesus does not watch your loneliness and your suffering in indifference. He chose loneliness and he chose suffering for you. He lived a perfect life on the earth, which you and I can never do. That made him acceptable as a sacrifice in our place when he died on the cross. When they buried him, he was buried with all of that sin, all of that shame. And when he was resurrected three days later, he defeated it. All that sin, all that shame defeated for good. And now salvation is available to us. Forgiveness of our sin and restoration of our whole beings. So um, if you struggle with the word sin or if it has been used wrongly around you as you were growing up, I understand that. But we must acknowledge our own personal sin the way God defines it. We must acknowledge our own personal failure to love God and to love others the way that he says. Salvation is available, but we can't have it without repentance, without acknowledging that our way of thinking and being and doing and living is not it and turning around completely. Um, a great pastor puts it like this, rethink everything you think you know about who God is and who you are and what the good life you crave actually is. Put your trust and confidence in me, Jesus, to heal you, save you, free you and lead you to the life that you ache for. It's not just about going to heaven when we die. Um, yes, Jesus saves us to an eternity with him, absolutely. But salvation isn't just a future experience. It, starts, it can start right now. Because we need salvation to save us, not just from what could happen to us when we die, but from what could happen in us and through us to other people. We need salvation from ourselves and deep healing in our souls. The salvation of Jesus transforms us into people who love God and love others. And that starts the second that we choose him and continues until eternity when we will be with him.
So much of your loneliness and my loneliness and the loneliness of those around us comes from our determination that we know what is best for us. We know what kinds of relationships and interactions or lack thereof will make us happy. We know how we want to live. And this is pretty much the cry of our culture. Only you know what will make you happy. Only you can decide what will fulfill you. And it's a nice idea, maybe, but it just doesn't work because sin pervades the deepest part of each of us. Um, St. Ignatius, who was a really profound man who walked closely with God, said, sin is my unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. I'll just read it again. It's very good. Sin is my unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. So... A life and a life of abundance is available to us in Jesus. Freedom from our loneliness, freedom from a shallow life, and freedom from sin. Um, The band can join me. We'll wrap up soon. But uh, as we kind of wrap it up, two of the ways that Jesus brings this into our lives. The first is closeness with him. Um, I said earlier that the life in abundance that Jesus came to bring is a satisfaction and a contentment in him. It's not a materialistic thing. Which makes a lot of sense when we think about how so many of the wealthiest and um, most successful people in the world are the least satisfied and least content, and how studies show that some of the poorest people in the world have the most joy. Um, And God's not against stuff in the slightest, and he loves blessing us with stuff, but that's not why he came. The abundant life that Jesus has to offer us is a very deep life with him. The Bible talks about our life being hidden with Christ. It's a life in which we live each day with God. So we don't live like vaguely aware that He's somewhere up there in the stratosphere looking down on us. We live with Him, knowing that He is near, as close as the air up against our skin. That is what I pray every morning when I wake up, because usually when I wake up, I'm already stressed about the day and it hasn't even started. So Almighty God, all-powerful God, thank You that You are as close as the air up against my skin and even in my lung cavity. And instantly, I relax. He is close and He cares and He is involved with our hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute, second-to-second existence. It's a life in which, come what may, we're okay because we're found in Him. Even in our deepest loneliness, it's an invitation to experience more of His love. It's a life that on our best days and our happiest moments, He gets the glory for every blessing in our lives. And on our worst days, He gets the glory as our strength and our comfort and our hope. And on each and every day, He gets the glory as our Lord and Saviour, the one who is transforming us from the inside out into people who love Him and love others. And secondly, closeness with people. With the invitation of salvation and relationship with Jesus comes the invitation of relationship with His people. It's what we call church. And tonight we've come to church, or that's what we say. We say we've come to church. But what we're doing right now is we're having a service. We're not doing church. Our church is not the things that we do, but it is the people, the family, the community who are all following Jesus together. In this particular community, and there are many, 
as you know. And a massive part of the way that Jesus transforms us into people who love him and his people is community and others. Um, Henry Nouwen was a, a priest who wrote, community is, the, is first of all a quality of the heart. It grows from the spiritual knowledge that we live not for ourselves, but for one another. Community is the fruit of our capacity to make the interests of others more important than our own. The lonelier that we are, often the more isolated we can become and the more prone we then are to think about just ourselves. Community is an antidote to that. We come alive when our life is about more than just ourselves. And I know, um, you know, when we're lonely, community in church can be intimidating. I was the girl who would walk in the door and like give it five seconds to see if I could see someone that I knew and if not, run to the toilet where I would hide until the service would start and then leave straight after and people were kind and friendly but I was just kind of introverted and insecure and I just would prefer to not but um as I have learned and am learning the transformation that Jesus can do in us through community and the healing that he brings through our lives is beyond worth it I read recently that trauma doesn't necessarily happen just because of suffering, but is amplified by suffering alone. And um, to quote the, the person, trauma happens when severe emotional pain cannot find a relational home in which it can be held. Church is family and a community where we can be the relational home to hold the pain and the experiences and the suffering of each other. Psychologists tell us that whilst our deepest hurts happen in relationships, so does our deepest healing. And church is a family and a community that doesn't cover or gloss over our deepest pain or our loneliness, but one that has the power to bring deep healing and wholeness to our lives and our relationships. Life and life in abundance. Come on. So this is the thing, loneliness is a big problem. It's a personal problem in our hearts and lives. It's a problem that is affecting the whole Western world. And sin is the root cause of that problem. But Jesus came that we might have life and life in abundance. There is a better way to live. Church, would you stand with me? Um, maybe tonight you are lonely and you can see that the root cause of that loneliness is sin in some form. Maybe your own sin or maybe the sin of someone else or just the brokenness of the world. Maybe tonight you are not lonely, but you can also recognize the sin in your own life and heart and mind or in your relationships. The thing about sin is it is a tragedy, mostly because of the deep worth and dignity that you and I were created with. God made us in His own image, which means we were made intrinsically valuable to live an abundant life in an abundant world. So, you know, because of sin, we're now broken and messed up in the deepest way, but we're still made in the image of God, still deeply valuable. And when you have something cheap and worthless, like when you're putting up the Christmas tree and like a trinket breaks, it doesn't matter, right? You just chuck it out. But when something precious and expensive, a masterpiece is damaged, that is tragic. And that is, that is the tragedy of the sin that pervades your heart and my heart and the world. Because if we were worthless and life was meaningless, then sin would be no tragedy at all. And yet God would give His Son and Jesus would give His life to restore what is broken in you and in me. He lived the perfect life we could not. He died the death that we deserve on the cross. He was buried with our sin and He was resurrected and now we have access to salvation in Him. 
young person, older person, every person. Forgiveness for your sin can only be found in Jesus. Your eternal life secure can only be found in Jesus. The restoration of your whole being can only be found in Jesus. And the healing that you need to be working in your heart and mind and life for the rest of your life can only be found in Jesus. The invitation... The invitation is here for you tonight. So church, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.